everywhere I go, this just keeps coming back to my heart. I can't get away from it. Because I feel like we're living in some rough times. And um, the enemy has tried to really just suck the, the faith and the life out of the church. And this 18 months have been rough. Um, and it gets to the point to where we can lean heavily on some verses but forget about some other ones. You know, I hear a lot that this is the last days. And, and then you hear the verse that in the last days, perilous times will come, right? But you can't forget about the other verse that says that in the last days I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That yes, there'll be some, some rough times in the end of it all, but there's also going to be something spectacular that happens with the church. And we cannot let the enemy steal our faith and steal our joy in living for God. And I feel like that he has done this. And the more people that we bury with this stupid virus, the more easily it is for us to believe that God isn't a healer than he is. And we have to keep going back to the scripture and say that he is a healer. He is a rewarder of them that seek him. He is the one that heals us, touch us, delivers us. We have to believe that. And so I, I, want to, I want to go through some stuff in Scripture and in history. I'm going to slow down, but I want, I want to just build your faith up that this is not the darkest time in the history of humanity. We have been here before, and God has reached into the darkest places of, of human history and actually brought about the greatest revivals that the world has ever known. So we're, we're going to, in order to do that, we got to do some historical work, both biblically and in the United States. I'm not trying to, I don't want to bore you today, so I'll go, I'll gloss over it, and then we're just going to hit, hit the high point, amen? So there's, there's so many epic things within the scripture that, um, that I wish that I could have seen, like the opening up of the Red Sea. Now that's, sometimes we read that and we just go, go over it like it's nothing, you know, he opened up the Red Sea. It's, it's almost like you read it as he opened a bag of chips. You just keep on reading it. But, I mean, it's pretty, pretty spectacular to open up the Red Sea, you know. And, um, but there's so many things that I wished I could have been an eyewitness to, especially in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and I feel like that if he could teach me how to do a few of those things, that they would be very helpful in my ministry. I mean, whenever he is standing there and Lazarus has been dead for a few days and he's thinking at this point and he says, you're not dead anymore. I mean, I feel like that would be useful in my ministries. Like someone calls me to the hospital and someone's laying and they're like, call Robinette, we need him to come over here and raise the dead. I feel like if he'd teach me how to do that, I could use that effectively in the ministry. You know, whenever he is on a boat and it looks like everybody's about to pass away because this humongous storm is coming up and they wake him up from a nap and he steps on the edge of the boat and says, stop it. I mean, how useful in the ministry is like, hey, we got, we got a, a big hurricane coming into Florida. Call Robinette up. We want him to pray this thing out. You know, feeding of the 5,000, breaking some loaves of bread and some fish and feeding that many people. I mean, how, how awesome would that be if you're having an outreach ministry and you don't have to spend anything but like a buck ninety nine on a lunchable. <laughs> I 
Here's the thing is that there is, is the disciples are following Jesus Christ. There is nowhere in the scripture at all where his disciples ask him after each one of these things to teach us how to do those things. But what you do see the disciples asking him to do is, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they believed in watching his life that Jesus so modeled prayer that they thought that his power was connected to his prayer life in such a way that if they could pray like he prayed, then they could do what he did. And I feel like that that is the lost art in our day. We worship well, we have good music, we have good preaching, we have all of that, but we have lost the ability to lay before the Lord and pray. And pray. There's a verse in Scripture, I don't want you to stand, and well, I'm just going to pray after this, but if you've been in church for any length of, of time, you've heard this before. Solomon has just prayed this wonderful prayer, asking the Lord, and we're going to go through it in just a minute. Um, and at the end of this prayer, the Lord answers from heaven. He says, if my people, there is so much power and destiny wrapped up in this one verse that if we could get a hold of it, it would change everything for us. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and they will pray, if they will seek my face, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, here's what God promised. Now, God's not a liar. He said, if you'll do all of those things, then I'm going to hear your prayer. I'm going to forgive your sins, and I'm going to heal your land. How magnificent is that verse that he's going to hear us, he's going to forgive us, and he's going to heal us. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to be here to share your word. I pray that the Holy Ghost would come in this place in such a marvelous way that you would shake us to our core. Lord, I'm praying for revival in Jonesboro. I'm praying this new building that they're building, God, that they won't even have room within a few short months to hold everybody that's going to come into that place and be saved. They're going to be baptized in your name. They're going to be filled with your spirit, God. I pray that you would shake this place today. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. So there was a guy by the name of Mark Sayers. He's from Melbourne, Australia. And um, uh, what you need to know about Melbourne, Australia is that it is extremely far left. And uh, I'm not talking about geographically. I'm talking about in their thought, their theology, who they are. Um, they are to the left of San Francisco. They make San Francisco look like the Bible Belt. Okay. And Mark Sayers, I don't agree with everything that he teaches, but he's a genius, and he, he knows how to tie history back to humanity and figure out the ways that we've got here. He's engaged that culture in Melbourne through intellectual, just speaking, and he is, he's raised up a church there of, of thousands and thousands of 20-something-year-olds. They, they, they come and pack that place up, and he said that... that he, he was up one night and he said that he was up speaking on a Sunday night and that he could see in his head and he could tie all the way back to how culture got its way to where it is today. That, that we are the answer to our own problems and that even though we have a lot of evidence it tells us we're not. That, that we are the solution. That we're going to create something and we're going to think our way into a better existence. He said that he could, he could trace it all the way back to German romanticism in the middle of his preaching I can't do that and and how we are our own God how we are sufficient enough and he said I as I was preaching and I was speaking he said all of a sudden I felt so hopeless 
I had a lot of despair that settled in because even though I knew how, the, how it got back to its root, I didn't know how to get us out of it. And he said, as I'm speaking, I, I realize that the only way that we're going to get out of this is that we begin to preach the power of the gospel and we have a move of, Holy, of the Holy Ghost like they did in the book of Acts. He said, I knew that we needed form and fire. Form is the planning and structure. And he said, we had plenty of that, but we had never had a move of the Holy Ghost. And I knew without a move of God, there was no way to get culture out of the shape that it was in. We could not lean in on human fixes. We could not lean in on human ideas, but we had to have a move of God. I could not agree with him more. If our culture and if our world is going to be changed, we have got to have a move of the Holy Ghost that shakes us to our core. To know that God can move in our day right now in such a way with such radical power that he can take the things that to us seem lost and dead and he can revive them. He can send revival. He can renew them. I believe that. Now that's hard for us to believe. Because we're living in a time where everything seems really busted, right? The left is so far left that they're insane. And the right is so far right that they're crazy. And when you have insane and crazy as your options, that's not good. And what you have is you have the forgotten middle. And what you're seeing is, is that it seems to us, we're seeing the destruction of the world. We're wondering what in the world's going on and what in the world we can do about it. And it's right in the middle of all of that fear and the confusion, the anxiety of our day that I want to look at it in the face and say that God can move in such a powerful way that he can take the things that we think are lost and undone and can't be fixed and he can pick them up with the mire, out of the miry clay. He can put them back together. He can give us revival in our land today. To do that, in order to bring some faith to you, we're going to have to do some historical work because there has been a, a lie put in us, and I have really heard this my entire life. There's a lie that has been put in us that in Christianity there are straight lines. And what I mean by that is that there was a time, this is what we've been told, there's a time in human history that, that everybody loved Jesus, that everybody was going to church, and that everybody would disciple the Lord. I want you to know that has never been the case. And when you believe that lie in America, it, it works itself out like this, that all of our founding fathers loved the Lord and they, they, they served God. And look at me, that is not the truth. Most of them were theists. Theism is whenever you believe, they believed that there was a creator God, but after that God created it, he kind of walked away and didn't want anything to do with it anymore. He just walked away with it. They, they had a, a shared moral vision, but, but they didn't all believe in Jesus and the Bible. I mean, you got Thomas Jefferson who has a Bible in the Smithsonian that he took out certain sections of the, the life of Jesus Christ and he picked out what he liked and, and he said, I believe this and I, I love how he fed the poor and I like how he did this and he pasted it with, he cut it out with razor and he pasted it with glue and this is called the life and the morals of Jesus Christ. But he, he cut out all the divine miracles, all the divinity of Christ. He cut all of that out and said, I don't believe any of that. He treated the Bible like we do today, like a buffet line. I like this and this and this, but I'm going to leave the green beans to someone else. 
See, you can't say that everybody was loving Jesus and that everybody believed in the Bible when you got a guy cutting it up and just taking what he wants and pasting it saying, this is what I'm going to believe. So you can't say that. And so what happens when you believe that is that you think that there was a day when everybody was loving Jesus and following after him. And, and what happens is your faith begins to diminish because you're looking what seems to be the decline of Christianity in our day. You hear all of the, the polls that Christianity's on the decline. And you, you just start believing all of that. And you start saying, we just got to hang on until Jesus comes. We just got to make it. And you get your mind off revival and winning the world because you can't even believe that they can be saved. And so I want you to know that it's never been that way. Throughout biblical history and through the Bible and through American history, there's always been an ebb and a flow to the power and the presence of God. Always. And it works itself out like this, that, that the people will begin to draw near to God. And they will begin to seek God. They'll begin to pray and call out to his name. And God, because he loves his creation, will begin to draw near unto them. And because they're close to each other, he begins to pour out his blessings. And what you often see is human flourishing. And you see economic prosperity. You see all of that. But when humanity becomes blessed, it doesn't take them long ever to stop believing that it was God that did that for them and start trusting in their own ability and what they've done and their talent and they're like it's not God that did this but it's me that did this it doesn't take us long to stop believing that it was God that sent the blessings in the first place you look in the book of Exodus, God reaches into Egypt with a strong hand, sends the 10 plagues, pulls them out of the land of bondage, opens up the Red Sea over one mile wide. And after they left the Red Sea and what he did there, how long did it take them to move from that moment to start bowing down before a golden calf and saying that this is the God that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? About a week and a half. A God that they made with their own hands. We easily buy into our own self-importance. And so the people of God, what you see in history, they forget about the origins of the blessings of God. And so we start to believe that we're the reason for our success. And when that happens, the first thing that goes is leadership. We start getting crummy leaders. Look at the kings uh, in, in the Old Testament. And whenever you get crummy leaders, you get crummy solutions to the problems that are going on. Because man starts looking to themselves to fix what only God can fix. And all of this begins to bring an anxiety and, and some, uh, and they just don't know what to look at or where to turn to. But in the middle of all of that, there's always a remnant of people that begin to remember their creator, remember their God, and they begin to call out to God. And God in his mercy hears their prayer and begins to draw near unto them and send blessing again. He sends renewal and revival and it happens over and over and over. So we're in this season where everything looks busted. And it's, it, this is not just the history of the Bible, but it's the history of the United States of America. There are writings about the colonies. There are, there are things that were written in newspaper where, wherever they talked about that church was something that people did but didn't even really enjoy going to. That they showed up because it was just a religious duty, but they really weren't actively involved. Which if you took those articles and you put them in today, kind of sounds like what's going on today. 
but it's in 1726 that God sends the first great awakening. It rolls through Britain. It rolls through the Americas. And the Spirit of God takes a hold of what we now know as the United States of America. We head off to war and we win that war. We establish the United States of America. But it doesn't take us long to forget who delivered us, who blessed us. And we turn away from God. We forget about who brought us out of the land of bondage. We're so easy to forget But somewhere along the way, there's a group of people that begin to call out to God. And God sends what is called the second great awakening. Thousands of people start getting saved. Crazy supernatural stuff starts taking place. They write about how in the middle of churches, the power of God was just flowing. And there would be somebody drunk out of their mind walking down the street. And the power of God would fall on that individual that was drunk out of their mind. They would sober up. And the Spirit of God would take a hold of the heart of that person. Healing's taking place. It doesn't take long. For us to drift back, forget about our Lord. In our nation, if you read about it, it is in, at the turn of the 19th century there, we're in a rough, rough condition. But it's in 1907 where a one-eyed, illiterate man standing on some milk crates in Los Angeles, California on Azusa Street with not a fabulous message to preach, just begin to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Holy Ghost takes a hold of our nation. Holy Ghost falls and people all over the nation start getting filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we see renewal, we see revival in our country. It's an ebb and a flow. We hit off to war, World War One and Two. And the United States showed out on those wars and we saved the world during that time from a really dark period of history that we wouldn't have, we don't know since the dark ages. There was a time in history that was so bad they just called it the dark ages. We saved the world from communism and I know that that is romanticized today but there were millions of people being killed whenever we put all of our hope in man. And we head off to war. We win those wars. We, we become America, the great policemen of the world, defenders of freedom. And what happens is, is we forget about our Lord and we turn back and we lean in to our own greatness. And when we do that as a nation, we backslide. And it's in the 1960s where the sexual revolution begins to flow through our nation. And it was at the height of the hippie movement where drugs and, and all of that wickedness was at its height, probably where we're at today. I know everybody says you know, the hippie movement, they were kind people and flower child. No, 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 those people were insane. They would start a riot in a city and they would burn it to the ground, which sounds like we're going, what we're going through today. But it's in the middle of all of this craziness. And you've got an unwinnable war. You've got a president, Nixon, that's about to be impeached. In the middle of all of that, you get the Jesus movements. And it's in the mountains of California where a group of hippies got together with acoustic guitars. And they begin to sing all of this affection and worship. That it has its roots in the Jesus movements. And whenever they were in the mountains, the Holy Ghost touched those people and began to feel thousands of people in the mountains of California. Now, whenever God sends revival, isn't it crazy how he sends it through California?
One of the most amazing people I ever met in my life who was my dorm supervisor, Brother Jim Sleva, got the Holy Ghost in the Jesus movement in the mountains of California, singing songs, and the Holy Ghost began to take a hold of the nation over again. Now, let me tell you, there's crazy times that are going on during the middle of all of this. Anybody remember waiting in line during the, 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 the Carter administration for gas? There was a time where we built bunkers and put a whole year's worth of food supply in them because we were afraid at any moment a nuclear warhead could drop and incinerate us all. See, we were packing food up. We were teaching third graders. At any moment, a bomb could fall and evaporate you. So here's what we want you to do. Get under the desk. Just let them learn long division, you know, and let them evaporate when that day comes. Don't scare them like that. My point being is that, yes, we're in a rough time right now, but we've been here before. We've been here before. And in some of the most wicked crazy circumstances where it looked like there was no hope and everybody was saying, Jesus has got to be coming any moment because it can't get any worse than this. In the middle of all of that, there's a group of people that called out to God and God sent revival. I'm saying God can do that in our day. In the Bible, there was a time in in the book of Lamentation where it got so bad, they were sacrificing their kids to a God by the name of Molech. He had his arms outstretched, his, his belly was wide open. Mothers would bring their babies and they would latch them down to the arms of Molech and there would be drums playing all around to, cry, this, to, to, to drown out the crying of the kids as they built a fire in the belly of that God and they would sacrifice their kids. But in that same book, there is a word from God that says, his mercies are new every morning. And so our answer is not in a political system. I was so disappointed with the church world. We were leaning on a man from the political world to bring us out. You won't find it in the political system. You won't find it in this world. But if the church gets hungry and says we're going to call out to God, we're going to seek his face. Somebody lift your voice to the Lord for a moment. If we'll learn how to pray, if we'll learn to seek the face of God, this whole world can be turned upside down. In the name of Jesus. Solomon builds a temple, and as he's built, finished, completed this temple, they have the dedication. They have made so many sacrifices that you can't even number them. And uh, then he builds this platform. It's a huge platform made out of pure brass. I don't know who moved that thing, but it had to be heavy. And he is standing on this platform, and he's got his hands outstretched. And he begins to pray the most magnificent prayer that you'll find in the Bible. And he says that if a neighbor sins against their other neighbor, 
And because of that, your judgment is upon them. If they'll turn where they are and they'll turn towards this temple and they'll begin to pray that you would forgive them. Lord, if the nation has famine in the land and there's pestilence because they've turned away from you, if the people will turn back towards this place and begin to call on your name. Lord, if, if your people, because they have stopped serving you and they've started serving idols, if they're carried away into a strange land and now they're in bondage, if in the land of bondage they turned around and they begin to pray unto you. I pray that you would hear their prayer, that you would forgive their sins, God, that you would bring them up out of the land of bondage. You would forgive that neighbor. You would forgive the nation. You'd pour out rain. You'd pour out your blessings. And he says, if this, if this, because please hear from heaven. And then God in chapter seven begins to answer back. And he says, when you do this, he didn't say if you do it. He said, when you do it, I know it's going to happen. When you do this, when you do that, when the heavens are shut up, when this happens, he says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, they'll begin to seek my face. If they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I am going to hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive them of their sins, and I'm going to heal their land. What a promise from God. I was, I was at church on a Wednesday night. It's been a, about a year ago, and... Uh, there was a girl whenever Ashley and I first went to Fort Smith and became student pastor that we never really had a chance to, to really win her. She was on her way out. She backslidden. Her life went crazy. It got involved in all kinds of stuff that I'm not going to go through today. And she was involved in all kinds of craziness. And, and um, I got a text from her on a Wednesday night. I was sitting in my office talking to Chris Hurst. And, and she sent a text and said, Hey, can, can I speak to you tonight? I said, yes, I'm in my office with somebody. I said, I will, I'll give you a call when I'm driving home. So I picked up the phone, and I'm in my truck, and, and she begins to say that I can't feel God anymore, and, and I've went too far, and my life has been too crazy, and, and I, I want the Lord back in my life, but I think that I've done too many things. And, and it, was, it was in this conversation that this, this verse was dropped in my spirit. And I said, do you believe that God is a liar? She said, no. And I said, do you believe when God speaks something that he means it? She said, yes. I said, well, here's what the word says. It says that if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and they'll seek my face, they'll turn from their wicked. He, that's when I said, he's going to hear you, he's going to forgive you, and he's going to heal your land. And I said, I want you to know God doesn't give up on people. He doesn't turn away from them. And that is a promise from God. If he said it, he meant it. He was speaking to a group of people that would do all of those things that they said, if we did this. If their life went crazy. But in every circumstance, in the middle of their bondage, in the middle of the land, where they were sitting there and they didn't know have any hope, they would begin to call out to God. And God would reach into the land of bondage. I told her, you just come to church. She came to church. She prayed to God. She sought his face. She asked him to forgive him. You know what the Lord did? He heard her prayer. He refilled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost because that's what God does. Here's what I believe is the will of God for this region. I believe it's the will of God for tens of thousands of people to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Jonesboro and the surrounding cities. It is the will of God for you guys to fill up that new place over and over and over and plant other churches and let the Holy Ghost move in this region. God can do that. He can send revival, but it depends on us, not just celebrating on Sundays, but on Monday and Tuesday 
We're down in the carpet saying, God, send revival. Turn this place upside down. Amen. So there's a few things that I want to share and get out of the way that stops us from praying like we should. If you're seeing, I'm skipping a lot of notes. Someone should thank you, Jesus. There are three hurdles that stop us, and I want to share them and just move out of the way. There's really four. We've narrowed it down to three today. Maybe. <laughs> Number one is cynicism. The spirit of our age today is cynicism. With it all is lost, all is hopeless. God can't heal, he can't deliver, I don't trust anybody, I can't trust them, can't trust the church, can't trust the preacher, can't do this. You will not have faith in cynicism dwelling in the same person. You will either give yourself over to cynicism or you'll give yourself over to faith. And I'm not talking about silly, crazy faith that doesn't make any sense and it's just goofy, but I'm talking about faith that Christ has never left the throne. He knows what he's doing. He still has all power in heaven and in earth. He still has that all. And it's confidence in that. And that, that confidence that God can heal, that God can deliver, God can break through in our day. And you're going to give yourself over to one or the other. You're either going to lean in and say, all is hopeless, all is lost. And when you do that, you can't even pray. You want to know why? Because your prayers, you're like, why even bother? But whenever you have the spirit of faith dwelling in you, you're like, you know what? God's going to turn this thing around. God's going to, and I know that we have suffered some loss in our life. And because of that, cynicism can grip us. But you have got to rebuke the spirit of cynicism saying, God, get that junk out of my mind. I speak faith. I'm going to drive by that land over there and say, God, fill that place. I'm going to pray that God would save my family even though I've been praying for that person for over 20 years. I'm going to keep on beseeching heaven. I'm going to keep going before him. You want to know why? Because I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know how God's going to put it all together. But I have faith in him that he can do it. And I put my confidence in him. I don't put my confidence in man. I don't put my confidence in, I don't know why I keep saying this, I don't put my confidence in political systems. Since I've been alive, Ronald Reagan was president, George Bush, Clinton, Barack Obama, Trump, but all through it all, Christ never left the throne. He was setting up who he wanted to set up. He was tearing down who he wanted to tear down, and it didn't matter. I just got to submit myself to him and say, God, whatever you want and whatever you desire, I'm in 100%, and I have confidence in you, and that confidence is not going to be shaken. Number two is that we have been taught, we have a whole generation that has been taught that the whole world is yours. And you should experience everything. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. I'm just going to speak a word of truth to you. No, you can't. I don't know. I don't care how much you believe it. Look, I'm 5'11", never been athletic, 40 years old, 
about to turn 41. I am never going to be an NBA superstar. That ship has sailed a long time ago. Honestly, it was never even available to me to step on to begin with. I got one amen from my wife today. That was it. But we've had, we have so many options available to us that we don't do anything. We're paralyzed and unable to, to walk in a connectedness that, and maturity that limiting your options would actually give to you. How many people in here are women? Raise your hand. Here's what I have figured out. Women are everywhere. They're at Target. They're at Starbucks. They're in the boardroom. They're at the gun range. There are tall women, short women, beautiful women, scary women. <laughs> They're everywhere. But because I have said that there is one woman for me, and when I have limited my options down to, I know that sounds bad, when Ashley's limited her options down, to one, I now get to walk in a connectedness with her that I wouldn't have if I didn't limit my options. Because I said I'm limiting my eyes, my body, my energy, I'm doing all of that limited to her. Now I get to walk in a maturity and a growth and get to experience stuff that I wouldn't if I wouldn't have done that. So this anxiety that we're seeing in our day and age is that we have a, a group of world today that that has been told you can have it all and so they don't get anything. All of the hookup apps and all of that stuff, they even created a word, FOMO, fear of missing out. And because of that, they don't really experience anything. They want to be everybody's friend, so they're nobody's friend. They want to do everything, so they do nothing. And so this creates mediocrity. And we have a whole generation that has so many options that it doesn't even know what to do with itself. And this leaks into how we view the church. We have become a purveyor of goods. We have so many options available because of all the apps and all of that kind of stuff. You're like, I like the preaching here and I like the music here. And we, we become a purveyor of goods and we don't limit our options that this is the place that God has called me. And I'm going to give my energy, my time. I'm going to listen to the word there. And because of that, we never grow into being a part of the household of faith. And we never walk in a maturity that God wants for us because we're not limiting. You have been called here. This is where God has you. You need to get rid of all of these extra things. Not to say that you can't read a book that will bless you. But whenever you're digging into everything else and you're just creating this buffet line of churches, you never get to walk in a connectedness in the church. And the church becomes... A option among many options. God becomes an option among many options. You ever, you ever heard the term helicopter parent? Always hovering, controlling everything. I had what you call satellite parents. <laughs> Anybody in here, you ever drove in the back of a pickup going 80 miles an hour down the freeway? Who thought that was a good idea? I would come in from school. My dad, who loves me, said, 
son, I need you to leave the house and I don't want to see you again until the streetlight comes on. Just play out there. All right, so, but we have been taught today that that if our kids don't know three languages, play soccer and baseball and karate and know four different instruments to play by the time they're two and a half, then we are not doing what we need to do as parents. And because of that, the household of faith, God becomes an option among many options. I can't tell you how many times that I have people out there saying, we can't come to church because we got a baseball tournament. And then when their kids in the middle of their teen years, they're going crazy and they're like, we don't know what to do. I was like, if you would have said, this is the place and every time the doors are open, I'm gonna be here. We're not going to miss prayer. We're not going to miss church. But this is the place that I'm going to be. And I'm going to give everything I have to it. Your church needs you. You're strategically placed here. The church can't be what it needs to be without you. Your talents are important. The giftings God has given you is important. And you've got to say, everything I have, my money, my time, my energy, everything, it belongs to God. And I'm going to make sure he's number one. I'm going to seek God first. Are we okay? I know I've went a while. Number three is distractions. Oh, my goodness. We're addicted to distractions. There was a day and age where there were some really cool forms of entertainment that people would dive in, and they're not good enough anymore. You could go to a ball game, or you could go to it. You could watch a movie and it'd be fine, but now people, they can't even do that. They're at the ball game, on their phone, at the ball game, on their phone, in the middle of what, so we're so addicted. And that was designed on purpose. There's a book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. It's crazy. Whenever they were designing the smartphone, do you know who was for sale? Your attention. It's called Attention Economics. There are algorithms built in your phone. Your phone is always listening to you. I know, conspiracy. All right, you go home and say, I really need a new pair of boots. Open Facebook and tell me you don't see boots, boots, boots. Well, I'd really like to have a new truck. You know that those algorithms built in games and it knows how many times you'll play a game until you get frustrated in a level and you just give up and quit. So right when you're at the point where you're about to quit, it'll let you win. And you know, your ego says, I've gotten really good at that game. No, they let you win. <laughs> so your attention was for sale. Because it's always trying to get your attention and we have become so addicted to that. Anybody ever been at the red light and you're behind somebody, the light turns green and you're seven seconds in and they're not moving at all and you have to give the little... Mink, mink, if you do more than a mink mink, it's mean. You can't go, Mark, you just get it, mink mink. You know, that's the godly way to do that. Because <laughs> they're on their phone, right? They could not go 30 seconds without figuring out what if someone threw a thumbs up on the picture they took of their Salisbury steak at lunch. <laughs> now, how many, you've been the person at the red light <clears throat> we're so addicted to it and because of that 
it, we cannot focus in. We have forgotten how to really move into, dive deep into a move of the Holy Ghost. When you get up in the morning time to pray, you can't go five minutes without tapping your phone and seeing what's going on. Now you have the power that's available to you. He said that if my people will seek my faith, he can heal you, he can forgive you, he can do all of that. And we're worried about what Facebook has got to say. And we are so distracted that we can't spend five minutes in prayer seeking the Lord of glory who can heal the brokenhearted, who can deliver those that are addicted. And yet we're so distracted distracted we can't get our head out of it so in the morning times the Lord's wanting to speak to you and here you are you can't get rid of that we're so distracted I remember that there was a day that we'd have such powerful moves of the Holy Ghost that we'd pick up young people off the floor that had fell asleep on the where they were praying people got drunk in the Holy Ghost and you'd have to pick them up and you'd have to carry them back to a car and they were speaking in tongues as they got into the car drunk in the Holy Ghost I remember those days because we didn't have all of this distraction going on what would happen if the people of God would say it doesn't matter what kind of thing I've got to get rid of I've got to get the distraction out of my mind but I've got to call on the Lord of heaven he can change things but I've got to get this junk out of my spirit anybody there the last thing I'll share with you if someone wants to come to the music is the last reason that we won't pray is because we're disappointed in us. The enemy comes in and tries to tell us that because of stuff in our life, we can't go before the Lord of glory because we are so dirty and we've done so many different things in our life that God's not even going to hear our prayer. The enemy will convince you that you're a hypocrite. Anybody ever been there? You feel like you need to pray about something and you can't even get there because you're so weighed down with all of the guilt in your life. I was reading at the beginning of this year in the book of Job. Job was saying, but oh, that God would speak. This is in chapter 11. And open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom for he's manifold and understanding. There was something that he wanted everybody to know. He said, know this, that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. That he requires of you less than what your guilt deserves. So the enemy will convince you that there is no way that God can hear your prayer. And that's a lie from hell. That's a lie from hell. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it was not Adam and Eve that sought God. It was God that sought them and cried out to them. And I can feel him doing that today. If my people, which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray if they'll turn from their wicked ways I'm going to hear them I'm going to forgive them 
and I'm going to heal them. I want you to stand in this place. Have me believe that God is going to send revival to Jonesboro in this world. How many believe that? But the enemy's convinced you, he does, you don't know if you can be a part. Here's what we're going to do right now. Let's begin to pray and ask God to forgive us. Lord, I pray you'd forgive me of my sins. I got things in my life that are not right. I pray you'd forgive me and help me. Help me to be better. Help me to get over them, God. Use me in the kingdom. Let me be a part of this revival. I want you to know that God just heard your prayer. He just forgave you of your sins right now. Is there anybody in here you're having a tough time believing that God is a healer because you've experienced where you didn't feel like he stepped in at time? I want you to pray, God, help me get rid of cynicism. I want to have the spirit of faith. Help me get rid of doubt, God. I pray that you would move in my neighborhood and move in my city, God. I believe that you can. What we need is the people of God to get rid of the distraction, get rid of the spirit of cynicism and begin to call out to the Lord and let the Lord do what he can do. You need to walk down the streets of your neighborhood and say, God, open a door. I know it looks bleak and I know they don't look like they don't want to have anything to do with God, but I believe that you're going to move. I pray you'll send angels down this street, God. I believe you'll save my neighbors and my friends and my family. God, I pray for my youth group that it'll double this year. I claim it in the name of Jesus.